Well, this morning we've been singing about God's love for us. We're going to be studying in Scripture what He says about our love for Him. How many of you recognize uh, those words? What the world needs now is love. What? Sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Do you, do you remember those words? What, what are they from? Come on, you, those of you my age and older, you, you remember that, don't you? That, that big hit song back in the 60s with Jackie DeShannon. Then been, it's been recorded by several others since. And all of us understand that in our relationships with others, love is so important. It's love that uh, makes life worth uh, living. Yesterday was my birthday. I have one year remaining to enjoy the 50s. That's right, one year left. I'm going to make me a bucket list of 59, what I'm going to do. But uh, my daughter and my sister both put a post together on Instagram and, and Facebook with some nice comments wishing me happy birthday. We all understood, understand that in family relationships and those relationships that are important to us in life, loving one another and communicating that love for one another, showing it to one another is so very, very important. But here's what I want to ask you. What role does love play in your relationship with God? See, I think most of us who go to church regularly are very comfortable talking about love. We're comfortable saying, I love my wife, I love Monisa, because I do. We're comfortable saying that, I love my husband. We're comfortable saying, I love my children, I love my grandchildren, I love my parents, I love my sister, I love my brother. We're comfortable putting their name in there and saying, I love so-and-so. I think most of us who go to church are very comfortable saying, I love Clemson. Or for me, I love Kentucky. Yeah. All right, I love South Carolina. You know, for some. I, yeah, a few lost folks, but. Uh, now, we're, we're all comfortable saying, I love, you know, those teams that we support, right? I love the Panthers. I don't, but some people do. I get that. Well, I shouldn't have said that. We're comfortable saying things like, I love chocolate. I love strawberry chocolate mixed milkshakes. I really do. I love steak. Medium. We're comfortable saying things like, I love my church. I love my Sunday school class. I love our youth group. But if I'm honest... I have to say that I don't think most of us who go to church are comfortable saying out loud, I love Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we don't love him, but I'm saying most of us are not comfortable saying it. We're not comfortable expressing it. Am I wrong? I I think we say those other things much, much easier than, than we verbalize love for Jesus Christ. You, you remember following his resurrection, Jesus was having a conversation with Peter. And three times he asked him a question. There by the, the sea, by the lake. You remember what that question was? Peter, do you, what? Do you love me? Peter? Do you love me? Peter, 
Do you love me? And if Jesus were asking you that question, how would you answer? How comfortable are you feeling love for Jesus, talking about loving Jesus, expressing love for Jesus? Well, today and for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the role of love when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. I also invite you to be praying for me. I've been battling a, a cold with some really strong coughing all week. I only worked a little bit on Wednesday. I'm not over it yet, so we'll do the best we can today. And I appreciate your, your prayers and apologize for any uh, disruption it causes. In, Mar- in Mark chapter 12... Jesus is being asked a a series of questions, mostly by people who don't like him and want him to answer in such a way it trips him up, creates controversy or discredits him. And after listening to all of that, there was one man who came to the opinion that Jesus was the real deal and he was answering these questions well. And so he asked Jesus a very honest question, a sincere question. And I want us to look at that question and Jesus' answer. And the question was this. Jesus, of all the commandments, which ones? Which which one is the most important? Now, he was not referring just to the Ten Commandments. Because that question was a common question of debate in the religious culture of Judaism in the first century. The reason being, the rabbis had taken the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament and all the other teachings in the Old Testament law and developed a list of rules you were to follow that guaranteed you obeyed Old Testament teaching. In fact, there were uh, 613 rules that a devout Jew was expected to know and follow. Because if he followed these 613 rules then he, he would be certain to obey the ones, you know, the, the teaching of the Scripture of the Old Testament. And it's interesting, of those 613 rules, 365 of them were negative. No's, don'ts, you can't. And 248 were positive. More negative than positive. Doesn't that sound like some Christians today? All these rules are more negative than positive. And so it's in that context... This guy asked Jesus the question, of all these rules, of all these teachings, all these commandments, which ones are most important? And so Jesus answered him in verses 29 and following. So if you have your Bible, follow with me. He said the foremost is. Now by foremost, he means the first one, the most important, the top one, number one, the priority. This is it above everything else. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He said the commandment that overarches everything else in Scripture is this. Love God with everything you have and everything you are with your total being, your total personhood. See, too often I think we make our faith, we make our religion more about rules and rituals. In other words, if you do these things, follow these rules, then you're a good Christian, and if you don't, you're a bad Christian. 
these rituals. This is how you worship. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And if you follow these religious practices, these rituals, rituals, then you're a good Christian. If you don't, then you're not. I think too often we make our faith and our religion about values and virtues. That if you believe this about ethics and morality and you have these virtues in life, then you're a good Christian. If you don't, then you're not. Too often we make our faith and our religion about kindness and generosity. I mean, it's all about loving people and being kind and being a generous person. Too often we make our faith and religion about tolerance and forgiveness. You just learn to get along with people, treat people the right way, forgive people. And here's the thing. All of those are important. All of those are biblical teachings that we are to be kind and generous to have the right values and virtues that we are to 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 get along with people and treat people right and forgive people and 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 worship and all all of that's good and those are ways we express those are ways we demonstrate those are ways we show our love for god but i can do every one of those things and still not love jesus christ I can have good values and not love Jesus, correct? I can live by good virtues and still not love Jesus Christ. I can go to church all my life and practice the right rituals. Doesn't mean I love Jesus. I can have the rules that I follow for conduct without ever loving Jesus Christ. I can treat people kind and be generous. That doesn't mean I love Jesus. I can be tolerant and accept everybody and everything, and I can forgive somebody who hurts my feelings, but that doesn't necessarily mean I love Jesus Christ, does it? See, I can do all these things without loving Jesus. Now, loving Jesus makes it easier for me to do those things. Loving Jesus gives me extra motivation for doing those things. Those are things that people who love Jesus do. But you can do all of those. You can do any of those without actually loving Jesus Christ because it's about human effort. And human effort can do a lot of good things. Yes, there's bad in humanity, but it's also true there is good in humanity because we are created in the image of God. There is goodness in us in the midst of our sin. doesn't mean we love Jesus. Now, If I love Jesus Christ, there are a couple things I'm going to do. If I love Jesus, then I'm going to care about other people. Verse 31 in our text adds that the second commandment, the second most important one, is love your neighbor as yourself. And we talk about that. That, you know, Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. It demonstrates love, right? We get that. If I'm a follower of Christ, if I love Jesus Christ, I'm going to care about other people. People. But notice it's the second most important commandment, not the first one. The first one is to love God. And loving others is not the same as loving God. I show my love for God by loving others. If I love God, I'm going to love others. But I can love other people without ever loving Jesus Christ. And so to say that if you love people, it means you love God. No, that's saying more than Scripture says. If I love God, I'm going to care about people. But just the fact that I love other people doesn't mean I'm in love with Jesus Christ. I I can do that without loving God. 
I do it easier, do it better when I love God, but I can do it without loving God. A second thing that I will do, that all of us will do if we love Jesus Christ, is we will obey Him. We'll obey His Word. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So obedience to what Jesus says, to His will and to His Word, is an expression of our love for God. Obedience is important. But you see, I can obey some of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and I just knocked some of my uh, cough drops off. <clears throat> I did it, so I may as well be honest about it. <laughs> but you see, I can, obe- I, I can obey some things in here, right? Without ever loving Jesus Christ. And I go back to what I said a few moments ago. I think too often we make our relationship with Jesus Christ, we make our faith, and we make our religion more about these other things and there's, there's just that discomfort, particularly in today's culture, to really talk about loving Jesus Christ. It's easy to talk about. I go to church. I I have these beliefs. I I hold to these values and moral principles. It's easier to talk about. I like these rituals or I I follow these guidelines. It's easier to talk about that, a a philosophy of life, than it is to say, I love God. I love Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus said the greatest commandment of every commandment in history, the greatest commandment of everything written in Scripture is this, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. See, love love has always been the key, brothers and sisters. It's always been the key to our relationship with God. It's not new. It didn't even originate with Jesus saying it here. I don't know which translation or which uh, Bible you have, but I'm reading from the New American Standard. And in my translation, the words in verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, they're all in capital letters. Because that's the way this particular edition of Scripture uh, informs you that this verse is a quotation from the Old Testament. And if you look closely at your Bible, it'll probably have some notation, some way of letting you know that this this is quoting an Old Testament passage. And it is. It's quoting Deuteronomy 6 as well as another passage. And if you have your Bible and want to turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament, devout Jews will refer to these verses as the, the Shema, the, the first two Hebrew words in this verse, to hear. To hear. And uh, as you'll notice up here on the screen... Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our Lord, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. Now, we'll expand on that in the weeks to come. But Jesus added heart and uh, mind to help you understand uh, what is meant by the Hebrew word heart. We won't get into that today. That's to come, okay? But this is the passage that Jesus is quoting. And so in the very beginning of of God's relationship, even with the people of Israel, he said the key to the relationship they have with him and he has with them is love. Is love. 
In fact, often in the Old Testament, there's a particular Hebrew word, chesed, meaning God's covenant love, God's faithful love that defines his relationship with his people because it's about a love and a love relationship in which they are faithful to one another. See, love, love is the greatest motivator there is in life. Love sustains what other motivations cannot sustain. Love, love brings joy and happiness to our pursuits in a way that just ritual and rules and virtues and values can never bring to life. Because love grabs your heart. Love grabs your soul. Love grabs you. In a way nothing else can. Even today, 2017, an Orthodox Jew or conservative Jew in terms of religion will recite the shema, this passage from Deuteronomy twice every day when they get up and when they go to bed. It's part of their morning and evening prayer. And I want you to notice in Mark 12, Jesus, when he quotes it, he begins even with what what a Jew would call the Shema. The the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's one Lord. And that tells us two things about this God we love, this God that loves us. He's one. See, one of the foundational teachings of Scripture is, is monotheism, that God is one. There is one God, not multiple gods. He's one. He's not a God among gods. He's God. There is God and only God, just one. But it's also that our that, that, that he's our God. This one God is our God, and that relationship is an exclusive relationship. And when we say our relationship with this exclusive, with this one God is exclusive, it means that it it excludes any other love. It it restricts any other God. That that He and He alone, this one God, He and He alone is our God. You can't have another God. It's the reason Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You can only have one God. You can only have one supreme love in your life. Doesn't mean you can't love other people, but you can only have one supreme love. You can only have one God that shapes everything else in your life. Now think about our marriages, okay? March, Monisa and I will have been married 35 years. And I have no problem saying I love her. And like many of you, our relationship is exclusive. What does that mean? I've got one wife. She has one husband. That's it. I love her in a way I don't love anybody else in this room. You all understand that, right? And I pray you love your husband or wife in a way you love no one else in this room. But what happens to a marriage, what happens to a family when that kind of love is not kept exclusive? Hmm? That's a nice way of saying what happens when one spouse has an affair. What happens? 
What happens to the love relationship? What happens to all the other dynamics in the home? What happens? You you know what happens, right? Well, what happens in our relationship with God when we don't keep our relationship with Him, our love for Him, exclusive? See, for many of us, our relationship with God is like two people who are married and they're being unfaithful to one another and they're still together, but it's a mess. And that's the picture of some of us and our relationship with God. We're still together, but it's a mess. Notice how Jesus said we're supposed to love God in verse 30. Love the Lord your God, how? With all. What does that little word, A-L-L, mean? (laughs) Every bit of it. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now we're going to spend the next few weeks, on next couple of weeks unpacking that. But when I love someone with my heart, that means I'm devoted to them. They have my affection. And Jesus is saying there cannot be one corner of your heart, one corner of your affections, one corner of your devotion that you hold back. With all your mind. It's because I love my wife, I think about her, right? I use my intellect to understand her and try to shape my behavior in a way to bless her. But what are you doing with your brain when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ? With your thinking and decision making. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, the inner you, the real you, the totality of your being, that stuff that you feel on the inside. Now, we we know that love in our relationship has to be expressed for it to remain healthy. But let's be honest. When you're in love with your wife or husband, you feel something deep inside, right? Well, you got anything deep inside you for Jesus Christ? With all your soul and with all your strength, your body. Now, do you understand why the New Testament says that when you as a Christian sin with your body, you're sinning against the Holy Spirit who lives within your body? With your energy and your effort. So let let me ask you. Does loving Jesus this way with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Does that sound like more than just obeying rules and participating in weekly ritual? Does loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength sound like more than just having the right values and virtues? Does that sound that perhaps loving God is is more than simply being a kind person and a generous person? Does it it sound like that Jesus said loving him is more than simply, simply, you know, 
practicing tolerance and learning to forgive, that it's more than just that. It involves all those things, right? Yes. But it's more than that. You you just think about the way Jesus said this, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all of all of those things, it's all of you. It's an all-encompassing love for him. Now, do you understand why the Bible says your life is not your own? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, which is not yours. It's all, it's, it's, it's all His. It's all, it's all involved in, in loving Him. That's a lot more than just being religious and going to church. Listen to some of the things that the so I'll wrap this up and we're getting ready for the Lord's Supper. Listen to some of the things the Bible says about our love for God. Look at these verses on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, just as it is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. What, what he's saying there, and I, I sometimes use that verse in funerals, Because he's saying that your eye has never seen anything and your ear has never heard about anything and your heart, and by the way, heart is also mind. It includes both. Your heart has never imagined, you've never dreamed about anything that comes close to comparing to what God has in the future as a reward for those who love him. But now I want you to notice those who what? Go to church? Those who practice the right ritual, follow the right rules, have the right values, what? Those who what? What? Love Him. Let's go to the next slide, next verse. Ephesians 6.24. Grace. It's not just God's love, but God's favor, God's blessings. Be with all those who what? Love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. I think the NIV translates it maybe undying love because it's the idea of a word, a love that does not decay, doesn't rot, doesn't vanish, doesn't end, doesn't just go away. A love that nothing can kill. So many verses in Scripture talking about our love for God. We just, we just read right over them. Let's go to the next verse. Matthew 10, 37. This, one, this one's tough. Jesus is talking here and he says, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now let me ask you, how much do you love your mom and dad? He's not telling us to not love them. In fact, Jesus said if you don't love them, you're sinning. But he is saying you're to love him more than them. That's a lot of love, isn't it? Hmm? My mom woke me up yesterday morning calling to wish me happy birthday. And Jesus said, he who loves his son or daughter 
More than me is not worthy of me. Does he say we're not to love our kids? No. <laughs> we're to love our kids. And love them sacrificially. Love them, you know, love them unconditionally. But he's saying, this is how much you're to love me as well. More. Because the second commandment is to love others like you love yourself. And my children and my parents are in that love of others. But my love for Jesus Christ is to take precedence over even these important and powerful and beautiful loves in my life. One more verse, Joshua 23. So take diligent heed to yourselves to what? Love the Lord your God. Be intentional. Make an effort. Work at it. How many of you in here have been married more than 30 years? Wave at me. You would not have gotten to this place if you had not worked at it along the way, right? So many people never make it to, to 30 and 40 and 50 years because they don't understand working at it. What are you doing to work at your love for Jesus Christ? One last one. We love him. Why? Why, church? What, what is the cross? It's Jesus saying, I love you. Jesus saying, I love you. I was doing some reading about, uh, see how long it's been since you heard this name, Madeline Mary O'Hare. Remember her? Yeah, I saw some of you cringe. You know, she was the one of the uh, people that uh, brought the case, well, multiple cases that were put together. She's the one that's more famous from it, that in the 60s, the Supreme Court ruled to ban daily Bible reading and prayer from public schools. Uh, a very, a very angry atheist, a very belligerent atheist. And uh, in 1995, she and one of her sons, I think his name was John, and a granddaughter. Not John's daughter, but Bill Murray, her other son, who was the plaintiff in the case that eventually became a Christian. Some of you remember he spoke at our church some years ago downtown because he, he became a believer. But his, his, his uh, child, her granddaughter, they were kidnapped. And they were held for 30 days and tortured, brutally mur murdered, their bodies dismembered and buried on a farm in Texas. Now, just so you will know, the three men who kidnapped and murdered them were all part of her atheist organizations who, have been, who were convicts. So Christians had nothing to do with it. Don't let anybody tell you that, okay? In her diary, she said this. Let me just share a couple of quotes. Here's what she wrote in her diary. Somebody, somewhere, loved me. She also wrote, I hope I live my life in such a manner that when I die, someone cares 
even if it is only my dogs. I think I, th- I think I want some human being somewhere to weep for me. How sad. See, her lack of love is a big part of what drove her into life, and it's a horrible way to live. And what I want you to understand is there's already somebody who loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. And if you allow his love to capture your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, your life, you'll love him. All the other stuff will take care of itself because you'll be so excited to love him and show it. You'll do the other stuff and it won't be work. It won't be drudgery. In Revelation, the Holy Spirit led John to say to one of the churches, the problem with that church is you've left your first love. And brothers and sisters, if your faith and your religion is more about the church and more about the Sunday school and more about ritual and more about rules and more about values and more about who you vote for and more about this and more than about that, than it is about just loving Jesus Christ, you're struggling spiritually. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper in a moment. That that grand expression of God's love for us, Jesus on the cross. And you're going to hold that cup with the juice representing his blood and the wafer representing his body that was beaten and died. And he did that because he loves you. And my question is, do you love him? And can you say it? And can you feel it? And can you mean it? Do you love Jesus? Let's stand.